Macro Podcast number 400 for March 26, 2014. Brought to you by two Citrix products today. Go to Meeting, the powerful, simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to, wherever you are, and ShareFile, the professional file sharing service for business. Welcome back to the Macro Podcast. I'm Chris Breen, and of course, with me is my partner, Oh, Hello. Serenity Caldwell. <laughs> Maybe I should say your name. Like, this random person. I mean, yeah. you could be partners with anybody, Chris. Let's be fair. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm glad that we have this uh, burgeoning partnership that we're working on. As as, as am I. Um, although I heard carbonation going, so I thought, oh, I better fill in while there's something <laughs> carbonated going there in the background. Yes, I have a tiny little – it's not a soda stream. It's um, it's a pure fizz uh, that I have been keeping on my desk recently so that I am – adequately hydrated. So you were hearing the the lovely buzzing sounds while I unscrewed that and poured myself a glass of water. Right. And this is not a paid promotional ad. Um, no. <laughs> I have a soda stream and I, I don't like it, but apparently there are there are others that you can enjoy your fizzy libations with. Yes. Well. I like the pure fizz because you don't have to uh, get the big like carbonated cartridges. You just get these little tiny things and it makes just one little bottle. So it's nicer for uh, just me. I feel like Soda Stream might be more practical if you're making lots and lots of carbonated drinks for multiple people in your household. But and I can hear it. There it is. There's the carbonation <laughs> right now. Yeah. Oh, if I hold it up to the mic, can you actually? That's really funny. Oh yeah, it's very fizzy. <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. Now well, that we've had that little aside. <laughs> right now that we've talked about carbonated beverages yeah, that are not really alcoholic, you? by the way, listener. No, just water. Just, just water. water. Um, Macro Expo. Sorry, I still call it that. Macworld iWorld, which is known as Macworld Expo, is this very week. And as you're listening to this, it's likely that both Serenity and I are engaged in talking to people or looking at products. But uh, we're, we're recording this a couple of days beforehand. Shh. Oh, right. Uh, but I, I just, you know, in case something really important happens and we're not That's talking true. about it, it's because <laughs> we're back in time somewhere. Um, but there are a few things on the radar as we record this, and some of them are Apple rumors, and what's better than to talk about Apple rumors? Nothing. Nothing's better than talking Nothing. about Apple rumors. That's, or just making them up. <laughs> uh, so there's a bunch of them as we're recording this. The first one is there's talk that Apple is having conversations with Comcast uh, with the idea that maybe they're going to bring streaming service through some kind of set-top box. They're not saying what it is, but bringing com the Comcast content, which would mean sort of the logjam of this um, cable cutting that we've been looking at instead of just providing certain shows or certain movies, but rather what account, what basically equates to live TV, which yeah. could be great. Yes? It would be fantastic. And, you know, Chris, it feels like we were just talking about this two or three weeks ago when we were talking about, you know, Apple's potential uh, future for the Apple TV. Um, the more I think about this rumor, I think it's uh, fair. It's potentially possible. I mean, we did hear that Apple was talking with Time Warner and I believe Time Warner and Comcast are in the, the end uh, runs of their merger deal, correct? Right, um, if if the, if it's approved. Yes, if it's approved, um, which it, it looks like it probably will be, although you never know with the FCC. Mm -hmm. um, so it makes sense that Apple would be talking with Comcast. And the more I think about it, the more I th you know, the more I wonder if Apple could figure out, you know, there might be a way for com for Apple to say to Comcast, "Hey, look, 
We know that you guys are super antsy about people cutting the cord for their cable boxes. But what if we could work together and put together a slightly cheaper plan that people could only subscribe to through the Apple TV, but you would be getting a vast chunk of that and it would be going through your cable network. That way we could cut out some of like some of the problems that you're having with like technicians and making your own hardware boxes, etc. And the people who want a cord cut can get a, you know, a cheaper plan than the $90 of cable that mm-hmm. they they want, but still be attached to your service in some way. I don't know. That just came into my head like five minutes ago while we were uh, listing up the, the various rumors for today. I'm like, that could actually be a plausible way for the for big cable to sort of maintain a hold on their viewership and their audience without necessarily forcing everyone to sign up for, you know, $90 a month of cable TV. Right. And that's what we as consumers have wanted for a long time is Mm -hmm. give us an a la carte-ish sort of thing. And if Apple could do that and convince Comcast to say, yeah, just give us a subset. We don't need the 20 channels of monks in robes. (laughs) We don't need all the shopping channels. What we really want are kind of the top... 20 channels that people want. The, uh, Turner Classic, for example, AMC, uh, SF, uh, FX. The, kind of the, the premier cable offerings, people would, I think, be willing to pay 35 40 bucks a month for that versus the 90 that where they're getting a bunch of content that they don't want. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is attractive to Comcast. Maybe this is something that would help sweeten the whole FCC deal to let them have world domination after all. <laughs> And the other part of this is that because net neutrality is dead, they can offer the same kind of bandwidth deal that they've done with Netflix, which is essentially, hey, Apple, give us money and we will put this content directly on our servers. And this way, we're going to be able to get it out to people faster because of you know the, the kind of trafficking that we can do that now people who are using Netflix are enjoying, those mm-hmm. uh, Netflix customers using Comcast. So... For consumers, as much as we've railed against the death of net net neutrality, and I'm not saying we should stop because I do think that there are some serious issues there, if this happens to work out, me as Apple TV user thinks, well, this would be swell because I don't get cable where I am and I'm depending on satellite. And if I could cut back on the satellite and do something like this for half or even less, I'd be very tempted. It would be a very, very nice uh, opportunity for both of these companies. So we have to wait and see if anything actually pans out. But talks, talks are good. Talks are good. And Apple stock went up based on this. (laughs) Uh, Somebody else's went down because somebody must be punished. Of course. Uh, Of course. Um, And then, okay, some more rumors because apparently Apple has been doing nothing but chatting to lots and lots and lots of companies. Chatty, chatty, chatty. I know. Since Steve's gone, everybody's just opening up and just having other people (laughs) over for coffee. So the uh, one other one is that uh, Apple is apparently in early talks with labels, music labels, about on-demand streaming to offer some kind of Spotify-like, Beats Music-like service that does more than simply iTunes Radio, which we've talked about in the past, as being a little, yeah, sort of good, sort of not so good. Yeah, has Uh, some problems. Yeah. And part of that is that downloads of albums have gone down 13% this year, and single track downloads have gone down 11%. So about five or six years ago, when I was talking about this sort of thing, people said, no, 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 I want to own my music. I'm never, ever, ever going to rent my music. That's impossible. This would be a terrible failure. Well, I think we're seeing a a shift here that people don't care so much about 
owning their music. Some certainly do, and there's a viable reason for doing that. But a lot of people are very comfortable saying, yeah, I'll give you 10 bucks a month and have access to everything. Yeah, uh, the subscription, you know, streaming music versus owning music, I always thought is complementary rather than antagonistically, mm-hmm. you know, p- uh, put opposing uh, one another. I look at it similarly to how I feel about movies or, or books where, you know, there's that core subset of things that I really want to own because I know that I want to, you know, I want to be able to pull it off my shelf at any time, whether or not I have internet access. Um, but then there's plenty of other music that, you know, or, or media that I don't necessarily feel the need to own. But but gosh, it would be nice to listen to the complete discography of, of Daft Punk or the Mountain Goats when I feel like it, you know? Um, so I feel like there's a there's a nice uh, complimentary uh, option that can that can be available. And it would be interesting to see if Apple can can capitalize on that. Although given what given iTunes radio so far i mean they're again they're looking to get into a pretty crowded space and i'm not quite sure what they're going to offer users that's so different from beats or spotify or radio or any of that yeah what they do have going for them is that everybody has itunes this and is true. if i mean if you look at itunes radio as being kind of web apps, right? When we didn't have apps for the iOS devices and it was a holding pattern, basically say, yeah, we've got something here, but it's more like stay tuned. And then if a streaming service follows, then, and Apple does it correctly, because I think they can, then they've got an awful lot of people that are already locked in. All they have to do with a single click is subscribe, do their 10 bucks a month or five or 20 or whatever they're going to charge for it if they decide to do this. And I think it immediately becomes the one to beat. I think Beats is really, really good. I think they're, uh, the way they've put together their playlist is terrific, and I'm, it would take a lot for me to move away from them now. But Apple has some curated playlists on iTunes Radio that are excellent. If they were to extend that into a subscription service, then I think we'd really see something going on in this market. This is true. Um, final rumor along these lines is that Apple is talking to, I don't know who, maybe to itself, about iTunes for Android. <laughs> you think? Hey, Apple, how do you feel about iTunes for Android? I am really skeptical. Um, iTunes for Windows did exist. We can acknowledge that. Yeah. But iTunes for Windows came in at a point where Mac market share was still very low and a lot of iPods that Apple was selling, it was selling to PC users. So it made sense to give PC users a way to actively control uh, both their music collection and upload things to their iPod that wasn't horribly clunky because we know Apple. Apple doesn't like a clunky experience. The only way that I could see Apple or iTunes for Android is actually tied in with our previous rumor. Uh, if there was a streaming service and Apple really wanted to get a bunch of people on it all at once, maybe you release iTunes for Android to sort of tap into that market to outside just the folks with iTunes or with iPhones and Macs. Um, but I just I don't see the appeal for Apple unless they're trying to market a larger service. Yeah, I think that if these pieces go together, I mean, and really, we're talking about. Two things that somebody may have just made up. Um, <clears throat> and then speaking of speculation, and then we'll tie it into the next thing, which is, okay, so maybe they have uh, an on-demand streaming service that they charge for. 
maybe then they extend that to iTunes for Android. So why would they do that? Well, we know that downloads are, are declining. But there is uh, this research firm called Macquarie Capital that's suggesting that Apple could see a lot of revenue coming in from iTunes, both apps and media. <clears throat> and they're talking about to the tune of like $30 billion annually every year, say, by the time, I think, 2020. So it used to be that this stuff that was sold at the iTunes store, Phil Schiller would come out and he said, no, 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 we're not really making money on this. This is just so we can sell iPods or we can sell iPhones or iPads or whatever. And somewhere along the way. <laughs> somewhere along the way. And I think a lot of it had to do with the App Store and taking 30%. They suddenly stopped saying that and saying, yeah, well, actually, we're making some money on that. Um, so these prognosticators at uh, this investment firm are saying, yeah, well, actually, this could be a big business for them, that selling media could be really big for them and a, a major part of their business. Therefore, you go back to the rumors and say, oh, well, it could be even bigger than that if they get a subscription service going and then they extend their reach into Android, much as they did with iTunes for Windows. Could you imagine if they hadn't done iTunes for Windows? Jobs was completely against it. That's and true. a lot of people had to yell at him about it. And finally, you relented. But imagine a world where they left that just for the Mac. I think we'd have a completely different landscape now. No, I, I agree. I'm, I definitely think when they made that intrusion into the Windows marketplace, it was perfectly timed and done so um, in such a way that it did grab huge market share for both music and for promoting iPods. Um, I just – I feel skeptical that mm -hmm. especially because Jobs may have been against uh, iTunes for Windows, but I don't necessarily know if he was as vehemently against Windows as he was Android before his passing. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of have to feel that Apple in general as a company is still very, very uh, – there's tension there between Android and iOS and at a certain point – I don't know when the when the scale tips between we want nothing to do with these people they stole of our they stole our ideas we you know we don't care and this is too big of a monetary opportunity to ignore. Yeah. Right now I think it's the former category but it could very well very quickly become the latter. Yeah, because we've seen these reports it wasn't just Steve Jobs but I think company wide people were very resentful of Google. And so you can see they would look at Android and say, no, we're not going to share this with them. They can do their own Google Play Store and, you know, good luck to them on that. Um, so I don't know that they're going to cross over either. But if they can kind of get over that and then if there really is huge upgrowth potential there, um, maybe that can make them feel a little bit better about it. Say, all right, well, we'll do this one thing with them. But that's <laughs> it. That's all we're going to do. All right, at this point, we're going to take a break, and we're going to talk about one of our two Citrix products today, and that's GoToMeeting. You needn't have gone to biz school to understand that it's important to build strong relationships with the people you work with. Likewise, sometimes many heads are better than one, and when you and your coworkers collaborate and brainstorm together, good things can happen. But, and there's always a but... Getting people into the same room can be difficult, and in the case of our Macworld team, for example, where you're spread out across the country, it's impossible. That's why we use GoToMeeting with HD Faces by Citrix, the powerfully simple way to meet in person, online, from anywhere, anytime. Look, 
It's easy enough to gawk at each other over webcams, and there are plenty of ways to do that. But when you want to show people your work, collaborate on documents, pull another coworker into a private chat, and gawk at each other, well, there just isn't a better solution. And it's easy. Sign up for GoToMeeting from your computer or mobile device and launch your first meeting in seconds. And how do you do that? Simple enough. Start your free 30-day trial of GoToMeeting today. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and use the promo code MACWORLD. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code MACWORLD. So, Chris, you know that I'm more than a little addicted to threes. Yeah, Maybe just a little bit. Not that I would ever play it on work time unless it's mm. for a productive purpose, like writing a threes how-to guide. Which you did um, the other day, yeah. Which I did. And I, I keep on getting people uh, writing to me being like, oh, I've got such a high score. Thank you. And then I think last night or the night before, someone posted an 80,000 score, which wow. is higher than mine. Wow. And so I you know, I had put threes down um, for a little bit, but now it's back with a vengeance. It's like, what? No, I must get all of the high scores. You used my work to destroy me. <laughs> yeah. So beyond the uh, the guy that you use, which is very helpful, we'll put that in the uh, show notes, um, I hear that, surprise, surprise, there are clones of these things coming out? Not just one or two, uh, quite a few clones. And the weird thing about threes is they're, you know, Flappy Birds had a plenty of clones pop up in the App Store. But with threes, we're getting clones of clones of clones, uh, which is to say there's a story posted today on TechCrunch. Um, threes, you know, someone basically took a loving – well, not so loving ripoff of threes originally called 1024 for uh, for Android um, that was basically say – and for and for iOS saying – no need to pay for threes. This is a simple and fun gift for you, and it's free. Um, basically, more or less replicating what threes did uh, as a as a free option. And off ten twenty four, people started making twenty forty eight, um, and now there are twenty forty eight clones. And twenty forty eight's a little different than threes in that uh, when you switch numbers around, they slide all the way to the. Uh, to the leftmost or rightmost or topmost or bottommost corner instead of just being able to slide the one row. So it's a little bit of a faster game. Um, and I like I enjoy 2048 and threes uh, on their own merits as sort of different different games and different types of different types of play. But it is still a little weird to look at the you know look at the app store and just see row upon row of clones of clones of clones. <laughs> I would have to think if I were the developer of threes, I'd be a little miffed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily think, and the TechCrunch article says this as much, like the clones aren't really necessarily hurting threes' app rankings, although it may be hurting its sales. We don't quite know. Um, And I do think things like the original 2048 on the web can – subsist alongside threes in the app store. But it seems really crass to be yeah. selling selling copies or ripping off the source code and making a, th- a free version and putting it on the app store and having people download that either in error because they think that this is the game all of their mm-hmm. friends are talking about or to try and take over 
the category. It just see it seems wrong to me, and it frustrates me that Apple, you know, isn't really doing anything about these kinds of clones. Again, we saw it with Flappy Bird, where oh, you can release a, a Flappy anything except if it's Flappy Steve Jobs. <laughs> right. Well, they did do something about that for a while. I don't know if they're still. Yeah, doing they it were. Right. They were trying to reject some apps with Flappy in the title, um, but it was kind of sporadic and it wasn't. And that's Flappy Bird and an awfully broad brush to use. You know, yeah. I understand that they get, I don't know how many tens of thousands of submissions per day, but it is too bad that somebody couldn't eyeball these things and say, all right, this is clearly somebody ripping off somebody else's intellectual property. Especially when it's a top 10 game in the App Store. Yeah. I mean, Threes, you know, for a while, Threes was a very small game and not a lot of people knew about it. And I guess I could see clones popping up if it's a low-ranked game and, you you know, it's that's a little bit harder to police. But when you're seeing, like, 20 clones of this pretty much the exact same game coming into your store, you'd think that someone would notice that. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure everybody who polices the app store is uh, listening right now so please oh, yes if you just vaporize all the clones and uh <laughs> and divert whatever money they might have made to the people who made threes because really attack it was of the work. clones yeah. it was it was and it's and threes is a wonderful game and if you haven't played it i really highly suggest that you download it it's now available on android which is kind of cool okay yeah good well buy it strike a blow for freedom <laughs> um speaking of numbers google the other day Released for oh, our dear. very much enjoyment, ten Google Glass myths. Oh, <laughs> to tell us that we are absolutely wrong to uh, be skeptical about Google Glass. Instead, that really is a wonderful thing. And so they want to first expose the myth and then explain to you why this is not true. So I thought maybe just for fun we would go through the ten myths and we would vote whether it was true or not. All right. Myth oh, number one. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. Glass is the ultimate distraction from the real world. Myth or not? Uh, objective, but I would say definitely not a myth. I mean, you have a screen right in front of your face, and I don't care what Google says on that. That's no. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I agree. Because uh, what they do say, and this is how they justify it, maybe that's the way we do this. They justify it by saying, well, it's, it's not on all the time. You have to turn it on. What they don't speak about is the temptation to turn it on. You've got this <laughs> thing strapped to your face. You've paid a lot of money for it. Is it likely that you're just going to leave it there because it's attractive, which it's not? <laughs> Just let it sit on your face and yeah. don't ever turn it on. Right. If you know, because I'm sure they're like clones of these things, right? You can get for twelve dollars that don't do anything, but they look like <laughs> it. Uh, no. So it is potentially an ultimate distraction of the real world. And Google says, no, no, because it's not on all the time. All right. So we say eh, to that one. Uh, myth number two: glass is always on and recording everything. Uh, as much as the uh, the security theater folks would like to believe this is true, this is false, as we found out in number one. Although I know that there are hacks that people have done to Glass to uh, to allow it to record things on blinks and crazy stuff like that. So the real answer is if you see it a smartphone or a Google Glass, you should probably assume that it's recording even if it isn't actually recording just to save yourself. Right. And Google will, his defense on that is, uh, well, uh, 
it is configured to only record for a very, very short time. Of course, you can change that if you wanted to. Yeah. Uh, and also, it really sucks your battery. So who would want to do that? Because your battery would be drained in 45 minutes, which seems plenty of time to do some bad things. Uh, but they're correct. It's not always on, and it's not always recording everything. You actually have to initiate that. So we'd, we'd give them a point for your correct, but... Mm, All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, grudging. But be safe, Internet. Yes. Uh, myth number three. <clears throat> Glass explorers are technology-worshipping geeks. <laughs> um, can we change that to willing to spend a lot of money on technology geeks? Because I would say, you know, putting down $1,600 plus writing an essay to, you know, get that glass in the first place and have the opportunity to pay $1,600 is, you know, a step in the technology-worshipping department. Yeah. I, not necessarily saying that that's all you do with your life, but there's definitely some worship going on. Right, because uh, in their explanation, they said, well, no, people from all walks of life do this. There are firefighters and there are nurses and there are people who live in trees and there are, you know, any number of kind of things. Well, yes, maybe that's our primary occupation. But they've all paid $1,600 for this. Exactly. It's not that this doesn't preclude them from doing this. So they could be firefighters and tree livers as well as technology-worshipping geeks. Um, most people, I think, kind of the norms, you don't see walking around with Google Glass stuck to their face. So I think at this point, people who have gone into the Explore program, I think we can safely say they're probably technology-worshipping geeks more than the normal person. A little bit. A little bit. Myth number four. Glass is ready for prime time. Uh, yeah, not so much. It's a beta, guys. <laughs> well, and that's what they're saying. They say, hey, this is a beta. So don't fear it because we're not <laughs> done yet. It's a beta, guys. Don't worry. We'll take out all of the creepy stuff by the time we actually ship it to people. Or we'll put in all the creepy stuff. <laughs> That we haven't talked about yet, but for the for the time being, don't worry. It's just going to get creepier as we get along. <laughs> so true. It's not ready for prime time, but I'm not sure what I want to see when it is in prime time. Yeah, I don't know if that's a point for Google either. <laughs> yeah, well, they had to have ten. Myth number five: Glass does facial recognition and other dodgy things. Uh, again. Glass can be hacked to do facial recognition and other dodgy things. I don't know if it necessarily does that out of the box. Right. And they say, well, we wanted to make sure that we didn't put that in. Not that we couldn't put it in. That we <laughs> didn't put it in because we want to make sure that we get this right. We have the technology, but <laughs> right. we're going to keep it to ourselves. totally do dodgy things, <laughs> but we didn't put those features in. But um, FYI, guys, we totally could. Yeah, we totally Maybe could. Maybe sometime down the line. And someday we probably will. <laughs> All right. Uh, myth number six. Glass covers your eye. An S in uh, parentheses. It, did they make glass contacts when I wasn't <laughs> looking? Uh, having worn glass very briefly uh, doesn't quite cover your eye, but it definitely leads to, at least in my experience, doing the weird like pseudo cross-eyed thing where you have one eye kind of staring at the invisible floating screen and the other eye is trying to pay attention at what's going on and it hurts after a while. Yeah. Well, I think this is supposed to reassure us so that when somebody is across from you and they're wearing Google Glass and you see their eye do the funny cross-eye <laughs> thing, then it's like, oh, you're not paying attention to me, are you? 
No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, not it not covering your eye equals you can totally still pay attention to the people in front of you. Right. Okay. Um, if it's on, you're going to be captivated by the screen in front of you. If we you know, <laughs> look at how how phones and how watches and everything else work already. Okay. <laughs> Myth number seven: Glass is the perfect surveillance device. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I just I'm I am having trouble not picturing this in the Apple 1984 world, in the Ridley Scott commercials. Right. Um, again, at glass could be the perfect surveillance device, except for the fact that no, no, it's not really going to be because people are so afraid of it at this point. <laughs> you know, people see a glass and they're like, oh, God, you're filming me. Yeah. And even if the person's not, I mean, that's good on the general population. We should be wary of glass. Whether or not someone's filming, it's still, you know, you don't necessarily – you don't want somebody uh, – you don't want the option of something that you say accidentally being recorded and broadcast online. Right. You know, it's, it's nice to have the the sanctity of private speech. Right. Uh, but in their, in their defense, they say, though, there are actually much better devices you can use for surveillance. <laughs> so like, you know – Here are some of them. Here are some of them, right. It's like, oh, well, you know, you could do it with your phone. Your phone actually has a better camera. So it is a better device for doing this. And the CIA has some really amazing like, – mm-hmm. so really what they're arguing with is sort of the word perfect. No, glass uh. is the imperfect surveillance device. <laughs> Because you could get better alternatives. Yeah. Okay. So not so much for that. Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, I think we'd all like our little like pen camera from Get Smart or James Bond. But uh, yeah, because it wouldn't be so obvious. I mean, you wouldn't feel like you have Google Glass on. You don't really feel like, wow, I'm a really you know secret happening spy. It's sort of like I'm a really lame spy. You know, people know yeah. that I'm spying on them because <laughs> look, oh, the little red light went on and it's blinking. Uh, hmm. <laughs> Right. I want uh, Charles Agnes Magnuson's uh, Argus Magnuson's uh, surveillance options, which right. is his brain. Right. Uh, okay. Um, oh, and we've almost addressed this one. Myth number eight: Glass is only for those privileged enough to afford it. Well, <laughs> it's sixteen hundred dollars. So I suppose that someone could, you know, give you a grant for sixteen hundred dollars, wherein mm-hmm. you could buy glass and then wear it but yes you need sixteen hundred dollars yeah and they say uh in their defense they say well no some people have paid for it yeah okay that doesn't quite address that uh some people have started kickstarter campaigns how do they do that i mean i can go on kickstarter and say give me money so i can wear google glass yeah i think kickstarter requires a project maybe indiegogo but still yeah so uh somehow people are choosing to spend uh, a fair hunk of money on this technology versus food, rent, living in a tree, uh, or purchasing jam. So there are lots of things that you could be doing with this money, but you have chosen instead to buy this beta technology and stick it on your face. So I think actually there are some people who wear these things who are indeed privileged enough to afford it. Yes. Myth number nine, glass is banned everywhere. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, um, so you wouldn't get them, right? Because nobody will let you wear them. Yeah. Uh, I'd say that right now the authorities are working to ban glass in smart places. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I'm, there was that story a couple uh, months back about the guy who wore glass to a movie theater, even though it was off, um, got detained by a, a bunch of men in scary suits saying, let's see the movie that you recorded on your creepy surveillance device, sir. Um, there, you know, there are places where maybe wearing Google Glass is not the smartest thing in the world. Uh, but obviously, it's not banned everywhere. For right. one thing, your home is not is part of everywhere, and presumably, it's not banned in your home. Not yet. <laughs> but if big government had it, that's way. right. It, yeah. So they're correct. It's not banned everywhere. You can use it in a lot of places. People are concerned about people driving with them on it. But Google's doing its best to get lobbyists into scotch those laws. Of course. Um, I think maybe you view it this way: if you buy, say, a Humvee and you drive it around, you should expect that think people are going to think you're a jerk. If you wear Google Glass around, people are going to think that you're a glass hole because you're wearing these things. They may not be banned everywhere, but you should expect, sure, there are going to be some people who are curious and think, wow, I really want to try those. That looks neat. But there are going to be an awful lot of people who think, you are a privileged little jerk, and I would like to punch you right in your Google Glass. <laughs> So yep. it may not be banned, but <laughs> expect there to be people around you going, oh, for God's sake. Okay, final. Last 10 myth. And this is the big one. Dun, dun, dun. Glass marks the end of privacy. Mm, nice try. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, privacy has been, you know, slowly eroding since the invention of really anything with cameras, uh, but more so with the Internet. I'm not saying that you don't necessarily not have privacy. There are still places where privacy is sacrosanct. Hopefully no one is videotaping you in your shower or in your home or in outdoor uh, bathrooms, for example. But there's certain, you know, that we have less privacy than we did. And I don't think that Google Glass is necessarily, you know, it's not the the end the end days, but it's it probably is bringing us one step closer to the ubiqu ubiquitous be aware that you may be filmed in anywhere in public. Right. And that's their defense is they said, look, privacy has been eroded for a long time now. We already have devices with us. We have cell phones and we have mobile devices that can record anything all the time. My gosh, the government is spying on us all the time. This is just another thing. But the, you know, the other edge of that sword is that, yes, it's another thing that people have ready access to on their face at all times. And if they choose to record you, it could be less obvious than if somebody takes out their cell phone and points it in your direction. So for them to say, we're not contributing to the loss of privacy, I think is bunk. That this could certainly help. Uh, there's a lot of people are very responsible about their devices, and the majority of people would not use these to violate your privacy. However, there are jerks in the world. We know there are. There are many. And, uh, well, because we're on the Internet a lot, I think we think there are more than there really are, but maybe not. <laughs> but there are people that use technology for, for bad purposes, and this is just another weapon in their arsenal. It's true. Okay, well. So that was all 10? <laughs> that was all 10. And I'm afraid, Google, we found them wanting and a little defensive. Don't you think that they had to, had to come out and say, oh, no, no, people believe terrible things about us. And really, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, this isn't exactly the way to change your uh, your brand image right now, Google. Because, you know, honestly, I think Google could help itself by recognizing that people have legitimate concerns about this stuff. And I think to present a myth list like this and say, would you look at the ridiculous things that people believe about our product? Well, people have plenty of good reasons for believing some of these are absolutely true. And for you to say, no, they're not true, and then try to explain them away in kind of a bogus fashion, I think doesn't help. What it could help is to say, these are what people believe. Don't necessarily label them as myths. This is how we see this going forward. We will never put facial recognition in. We will never do the following dodgy things. We promise or we will go out of business. But they don't offer that kind of reassurance. Instead, no. they just say, oh, no, it's fine. Really? And You and, shouldn't worry. Yeah, don't worry because it's coming anyway. So what are you going to do? So classy. So classy. But, uh, okay, so much for Google. And um, let's take another break and talk this time about ShareFile from Citrix. At this week's Macworld iWorld, I'm teaching a class on the iPad for business. And in preparation for that class, I've come to understand that a lot of iPad business, and well, just about every other kind of business for that matter, depends on getting the files you need from person to person in a reliable and secure way. And some methods are better than others. Let me recommend one of the best, ShareFile by Citrix, the professional file sharing service for business. Unlike standard email attachments, ShareFile sends your attachments as secure links. Handling files up to almost any size, and by any size I mean several gigabytes, ShareFile uses up to AES 256-bit encryption with either SSL or TLS protocols. And your files are encrypted every moment that they're on the cloud servers. Only you and your recipients have access to the data that they hold. In addition to top-level encryption, ShareFile can let you know when your files have been opened and by whom. Plus, you can access those files from a laptop, tablet, or a smartphone. If you're in business and you're serious about security, I highly recommend ShareFile. But don't take my word for it. You can check it out with a free trial starting now. No credit card required. To do that, Go to sharefile.com, click on the microphone icon at the top of the homepage, and enter Macworld. That's sharefile.com, click the microphone icon, and enter Macworld. You'll be glad you did. So um, we talked a little bit about iTunes Radio potentially getting some, some augmentation to its subscription service. Um, but there's also something that happened today, uh, not so much increasing music options, uh, but they're adding uh, – iTunes ad- Radio added new streaming today with uh, with an NPR station. Uh, so you can listen to some of your favorite NPR shows, which is intriguing. What do you think about that, Chris? I like it. I like NPR's content a lot. I know that there are people who listen to this who think, no, they represent the very worst of liberal America. But um, I don't think so. I like their content. Um, Fresh Air is a wonderful interview program. They have so many, wait, wait, don't tell me, so many great programs on there. And I think it's fantastic programs. Yeah, and it just brings more media into your home through uh, an, an easily accessible device. And I think it's interesting that they're bringing more than just video, which I'm glad that they're doing, but also bringing kind of audio content. And this is premier, great audio content. Uh, that I think a lot of people will, will enjoy. And I would be just as thrilled, sort of, if, you know, Rush Limbaugh's stuff came. It's not the kind of material that I want to listen to, but I do like the idea of kind of these big-name audio broadcasts being brought into a device like the Apple TV. Yeah, well, it offers... 
It offers people a way to pick up their news um, without necessarily having to listen to FM radio. And I know the FM radio stations are probably like, no, <laughs> no don't take um, our last. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, uh, you know, I, I installed there's a fun little app on the Mac App Store called Hourly News, um, which I used for a long time to get my like five minute on the hour NPR news digests. Because I just don't, you know, I I don't drive since I work at home. Um, I don't drive a lot. So I don't get a chance to really listen to the news and what's going on. Uh, and being able to listen to it in those like five second snippets is really helpful for me. So I think I'd really enjoy having iTunes radio as a thing where I could be like, yeah, I'll just turn this on and, and hear what's going on uh, real time in the news and, and maybe listen to some Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me without having to subscribe to the podcast. It's a nice kind of casual uh, casual option. Yep. I like it. So good for them getting more of that kind of content and uh, it pleases me. Yes. Uh, what has not pleased apparently 64,000 people <laughs> in Silicon Valley is that allegedly Steve Jobs was a bad boy uh, in our, or at least in my view, in um, between 2005 and 2009. Basically, what he did was um, he had some casual chats with other people in the um, uh, other companies, including Adobe. This came through Pixar, came through Intuit. Um, and basically what he did is he had sort of a, a handshake relationship with these CEOs and people running these companies to not poach each other's employees. So that um, Apple would not go recruiting people directly out of Google, and likewise Google wouldn't talk to Apple and try to poach its employees, which seems you know reasonable if you're running a company and you don't want to lose the kind of talent you've got. However, what this class action suit is alleging is that this kept wages low because people didn't have anywhere else to go. So if you had a certain talent within Apple that Google could use, you couldn't go there because there was this agreement that you couldn't do the poaching thing. Um, so they filed a suit. It's going to be coming up in May, I believe. And they're talking about billions of dollars. And uh, so what do you think? Do you think this was a, a bad thing of Steve to do and other people to agree to? Or is this sort of like sports and entertainment where you just say, no, you work for us and we have a non-compete clause? Yeah, I'm torn on this. I mean, we've heard rumors about this for years and years about non-competes. And we've heard other other companies in Silicon Valley uh, sort of genuinely agreeing not to poach each other's employees. And on one hand, it's nice because it means that you get to form a team with your employees and you you can trust that, you know, if you hire someone who's a, who's a rising superstar, um, Google can't give them $3 million to switch teams and come work for, for them. On the other hand, um, it potentially takes quite a lot of money out of an employee's pocket and it it doesn't allow them to bargain their services as uh, as much as they might be able to do in another industry. You know, the the entertainment industry, there are certainly, you know, there are agents and non-competes and, and balancing, you know, checks and balances there. Uh, but there's still room for agents to, you know, to barter for how much their client is going to get mm -hmm. paid. Um, 
there's still room in the uh, in the sports you know industry to negotiate for contracts, even if you are you know stuck to one you know stuck with one team for a couple of years. Uh, to put this kind of a blanket agreement on these employees basically means that. You know, although they could seek out employment elsewhere, say, you know, they could apply for a job at Yahoo and then Yahoo would theoretically give them consideration, uh, they don't – they wouldn't have the same kind of leverage as if Yahoo came knocking on their door and was like, we really want you. We're willing to, you know, maybe toss in some moving fees or, you know, some extra money or some stock and like that – it could have potentially uh, taken quite a lot of money out of employees' pockets. So I – uh, the the pros for business, I think, are overwhelmingly drowned out by the negatives for the individual developers and employees that this affected. I agree with you. Um, when people make the sports argument or entertainment argument, as you say, they have agents and they have unions. So if there's a real problem with this, they have some kind of recourse. Either their agent can come in and throw a fit or the player's union can say, this whole thing is off, and we, as a group, are going to say we're not going to work or we're going to demand this, that, or the other thing. In this case, these people are basically be treated as a company's property, and they're not. They're employees of that company. They, like everybody else, want to do well. They want to move up in the company. And yes, the company has invested a lot of resources in training them or, or making them as expert as they are, but that's just sort of the way of life, is that... It, you know, the employee gives you their time and their expertise and you do what you can to make them an, a better employee. If you want to make them happy, you pay them more. You make their life better. Rather than saying, you know, we're going to pay you pretty well. And, and a lot of these people make a lot of money. But you really don't have anywhere else to go. With your particular skill, there are about three companies that could use you. And we've made an agreement with them so that you cannot go there. Um, so I, um, I'm sorry, Mr. Jobs. I think you were totally wrong on this one. I'm sorry that other companies agreed with you. However, the guy running Palm did not. And kudos to him. Uh, Steve Jobs approached him and he just said, you know, I understand the, the necessities of doing business, but morally this is not supportable. And he turned him down and good for him. I'm sorry that <laughs> Palm isn't in business anymore, but, um, I wish there was that kind of ethic all across business where they understand that, <clears throat> that these people are not property, they're employees. And uh, I think these big companies do treat people quite well, but they work really hard and they should be able to take their talent and shop it anywhere if they like. Absolutely. Well, on that note, <laughs> we'll just say goodbye to each and every one of We've you. We've set our piece. We've set our piece by gum and we're done. <laughs> Um, yes. So that concludes actually the official podcast for this week. That would be the Serenity and, and Me podcast this week. However, throughout this week, because of Macworld iWorld, we will be doing special podcasts. The, so many. So many. These are going to be things that we're going to be pulling from the Macworld live stage. Uh, if you're coming to the show, you should definitely stop by and see some of the sessions. But we'll be podcasting a lot of that stuff, not in real time, but later that day or, or perhaps the next day or two after that. And um, then we'll be back with a real podcast with Serenity, and I will be back next week for that. And uh, and that's it. That's that's the housekeeping I had to do. So anything else from you, Ren? 
You mentioned it was the 400th podcast. Is it really the 400th podcast? Yeah. We've hit number 400. We've hit four. Crazy. In kind of a I mean, we've hit like number four, but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for us, it's four. We only have, you know, 100 times more to go. Yeah. But uh, yeah, 400 over, you know, started in 19, 20, <laughs> um, and each and every one has been a gem and a jewel. Of course. Of course. Uh, yes, yeah, so 400. So hooray for us. We ended it on kind of a cranky note, but still good for us. Hmm. And uh, speaking of that, I think our sponsor should be very proud to be part of the 400th podcast. And that sponsor, again, is Citrix, responsible for GoToMeeting, the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to, wherever you are, and ShareFile, the professional file sharing service for business. See you later, Ren. Bye-bye, Chris.